millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello, you are very welcome to The Tonight Show. An historic era of cheap credit is ending as the European Central Bank hikes interest rates. But what does it mean for you? The government may step in, they're not doing too much about it at the minute. The European Central Bank says it needs to put the brakes on runaway inflation across the EU and warns of more hikes ahead. Inflation continues to be undesirably high and is expected to remain above our target for some time. Later, we'll discuss all of the other big news stories of the week in our Week in Review. Do join the conversation on Twitter with your comments and questions. It's hashtag TonightVMTV. Mortgage holders face hefty increases in their monthly home loan repayments after the European Central Bank confirmed its first interest rate hike in more than a decade. The increase is designed to put the brakes on runaway inflation but will mean increased costs for borrowers knocked on fixed rate deals and possibly variables. We always like calling for our families back home uh, to like send some money or just to, to live here. It's terrible with interest rates high. Our son's here and we want him to buy a house. He works here, so he doesn't make money. He loses money every month. He just hopes to one day make a better job. But for young people, it's hard. I think the government may step in. They're not doing too much about it at the minute. Well, first tonight, I'm joined live from Brussels by EU correspondent Rosie Burchard for more on today's rate hike. And it seems, uh, Rosie, listening to Christine Lagarde speaking today, that further hikes are inevitable. She talked about a normalisation when it came to interest rate hikes. What else does she say in that regard? Well, Christine Lagarde said this is a historic moment and indeed it is the first interest rate hike from the ECB in more than a decade. So she says this is a turning point. It also surprised investors because they came out with an interest rate hike of 50 basis points. Christine Lagarde had previously suggested that it would be a rate hike of 25 basis points, so doubling there. Now, the idea behind this interest rate hike is, of course, to put the brakes on inflation. Inflation in the eurozone is currently at more than 8%. That's quadrupled the ECB's target and the ECB's main mandate is price stability. Now looking forward, Christine Lagarde did not guarantee that there would be future interest rate increases. That's because due to this initial increase, this uh, upping to 50 basis points instead of 25. She says, however, they will look at the data moving forward. The ECB Governing Council next meets in September and many do expect further interest rate hikes to be on the cards. Many think also that the ECB is a bit late to the party here. Many other central banks, including the US Federal Reserve and the Bank of England, have already raised interest rates. But the ECB here trying to 
to walk that tightrope between putting the brakes on inflation but also preventing a recession. So far, Christine Lagarde says that according to current projections, a recession is not on the cards for the Eurozone, neither this year nor next. But she says the horizon is definitely clouded. And Rosie, uh, the EU also signalled uh, yesterday that they were looking for EU member states to take a 15% uh, voluntary cut in your gas usage. But there seems to be real resistance among some member states, including Ireland. What is the latest on that? Yes, the European Commission is accusing Russia of using energy as a weapon and accusing Moscow of blackmail. That's amid really great uncertainty about the future of the European Union's energy supplies. The European Commission has asked all member states to take a, unifer a, a uniform and voluntary uh, cut in gas consumption of 15%. But that's causing some division because, of course, different member states have very different levels of reliance on Moscow and have built up different levels of dependency. We've also already heard, for example, Spain complaining about this, saying that Spain has not lived out with its means when it comes to energy. Some memories there, of course, of the debt crisis. Now, the European Commission, on the other hand, says that, uh, that all member states, whether or not they are directly relying on Russia for gas, will feel the fallout of a full shutdown should it come because all 27 EU members share a single market. And of course, if there's a drop in supply of gas overall, prices will go up everywhere. And the European Commission also urging unity they say that exactly what Russia wants is disunity among EU member states and it, that if they stick together, that Russia's hand will be weakened. All right, we'll leave it there. Uh, Rosie Burchard in, in Brussels, thank you for speaking to us uh, this evening. Now, here with me to discuss all of this is Minister of State and Green Party TD, Oshin Smith, Independent TD, Michael Fitzmaurice, Economist, Colin McCarthy, and Dara Cassidy from Bunkers.ie. And I'm also joined on Skype this evening by Stephen Kinsella, Professor of Economics at the University of Limerick and Chief Economics Writer at The Currency. You're all very welcome to the programme. Uh, Dara, I want to start uh, with you. It's almost 11 years, isn't it, since we've seen an interest rate hike in the ECB. There'll be some mortgage rate holders in this country, people with tracker mortgages, who have no experience at all of paying higher interest rates on their mortgage? Yeah, we've gotten used to a really, really long period of cheap money, practically free money and zero interest rates almost. That's coming to an end. Um, the problem is that it's coming to an end when we have record gas prices, record electricity prices and food inflation at near record levels. So it, it just couldn't have come at a worse time for a lot of people. The increase isn't necessarily astronomical. It's not going to add a huge amount, at least initially, to people's monthly bills, but it all adds up. The fear is, though, where does it go? Because this is a 0.5% increase. Um, the ECB is likely to continue to keep on raising interest rates towards the end of the year. And maybe this time next year, we could see rates at maybe 2%, which in that case would be adding potentially hundreds of euro to people's bills. Um, so at the moment, most of the banks here have indicated that they're not going to pass it on to variable rate customers um, and that it won't impact on the fixed rate at the moment, but that obviously they will pass it on to tracker uh, mortgages. So how many tracker mortgages are now left in this country and do we have any idea of, of the value of them? Yeah, so there's around maybe 250,000 to 300,000 trackers remaining. Um, tracker customers have gotten a great deal until now. They've been the envy of mortgage holders for a very long time. But trackers, of course, stopped being sold in around 2006 and 2007. So they've gradually been reducing 
but there's, like I said, around maybe a quarter of a million. Um, and that 0.5% hike will be passed on pretty much immediately. Most of the terms and conditions state that it will be passed on within a month and all of the banks have come out to say that they're going to pass it on. Um, maybe just pulling a figure on it, if you had maybe 200,000 remaining on your tracker over maybe 15, 20 years, you're looking at maybe €45 Euro a month being added to your monthly repayment. So again, non-astronomical, but it all adds up. And in a few months' time, we could see rates at maybe 1%, 1.5%, in which case that figure is going to be significantly higher for tracker customers. The big concern, I suppose, is that this is going to eventually be passed on to uh, variable rates and to fixed rates. And I'm sure some confusion now, if you are a, a tracker rate customer, what do I do with my mortgage? Do I come off my tracker knowing that there's further hikes down the track and try and take a good fixed rate or hold on to my tracker. Um, you really need to sit down with a financial advisor and do the sums. So most trackers operate on a margin of 1%. However, some operate on a margin of only maybe 0.65%. But let's say you're on a tracker of a margin of 1%. Even after today's hike, you're still going to be getting a rate of 1.5%. If you were to try to get a different rate, so go off that tracker, the best rate you can get is with Bank of Ireland. It's 1.9%. Um, however, you have to be uh, living in a very energy efficient home. You need to be switching at least €250,000. It's quite difficult, so, actually, to get that yes, rate. Yes, and that means, of course, you'll be paying more. And we don't really know how high rates are going to go. We think maybe they might go to maybe 2% over the next 18 months. But that would still mean a tracker customer would still only be paying uh, maybe 25 to 3%. So you really do need to do the sums and think carefully about how you think interest rates are going to go. Because for some people, it'll absolutely pay for them to remain on the tracker. Whereas for other people, it might actually make more sense to move on to a longer-term fixed rate. Uh, Oshin, as Dara said, look, the timing of this is really difficult because it feels like every single bill coming in your door, and I know that's not the case, but it feels like every bill coming in your door is just going up and up and up. Uh, 50 euro at the moment on average is going to cost uh, people, but we expect further hikes. Are the government concerned by this? And I guess, I guess that, that, affected? that problem of every bill going up is why the ECB have raised rates. I think they're one of the last of the central banks around the world to do that. And because they've been slow... The, um, the euro is now worth less than a dollar. So we, we've, we've had, a, um, I suppose, a devaluation of the euro around, which means that when we try to buy things from abroad, it's pushing up our prices, it's making everything more expensive. And so I suppose the, the attempt to raise the rates is an attempt to curb inflation, although it is very difficult for people. One, th one thing I'd say is that, this is relevant to Dara, is that the central bank's estimate is that most Irish people, 60% of mortgages, um, would be cheaper if, you, if they were refinanced. So it is worth looking at that, and particularly if you have equity in your home. And for those who bought recently, uh, the vast majority of those are on fixed mortgages, so they, they won't be affected for their term of their mortgage. I mean, some of those mortgages are 10 years long and so on. So, so is that your advice then to people? Go out there and see if you can get a refinance It's the central bank's advice, is that most people would be more than €1,000 a year better off to do that. So if there was ever a time to do it, I would say go out and look at that now. All right. Um, Michael, it's bad news if it appear for anybody on a tracker and again everybody else if this uh, hike is eventually passed on is it good news for the banks though? Well I think what we're elected to represent is the ordinary people and uh, I think what has happened is um, the ECB has been slow to come to the table um, and the inflation has risen um, and in my opinion some of that inflation will be very hard to stall in the next six months or a year if you hear the Tishi yesterday even talking about gas prices. Oil is very vulnerable. We are reliant on all those commodities and inflation will be hard to stall. 
The idea of putting up interest rates is to block inflation. I don't think it's going to happen. And, you know, there's 12 to 14% of people that are going to be affected by this that has mortgages in Ireland um, with the inflation the way it's gone. Basically, the horse has bolted and now we're trying to, to fix the problem. And I don't know, will it fix it? All right, Colin McCarthy, um, first of all, the timing of all this. They are one of the last um, Western central banks to hike interest rates. Have they left it too late, do you think? Well, the, the European Central Bank last summer uh, issued a number of, of statements and, and, and reports hoping that the inflation surge would be transitory, was the term they used. And that wasn't a completely unreasonable expectation at the time. That's certainly wrong. not the case now, is yeah, it? Yeah, it was wrong, though. Uh, and it's very difficult for central banks. I don't envy them. Uh, they're, they're, they're trying to fine-tune uh, a cycle that's unlike any we've ever had before. We, we, we never tried to operate with negative interest rates before. Uh, and the European Central Bank did kind of mistime it, if you like, uh, the Federal Reserve, which is the central bank in the United States, uh, pushed rates up three or four times now. Uh, so you feel the ECB should have got in there a bit earlier? Well, it's very easy to, to say that, yeah. you know, but you, you, you can't bet on yesterday's horse races. It's not allowed. Uh, Unfortunately. So they, they, they did what they did. That's really the reason why they went for a half percent hike rather than the quarter that a lot of people had expected. Do you but, think but it will have the impact on inflation that they want it to have, that Michael says won't happen? Uh, if you squeeze monetary conditions, then eventually you squeeze the inflation out of the system. Um, the, the, it just depends how tight that squeeze needs to be, is it? Well, well, well the interesting question is, is, is what happens next. Uh, there will be an ECB meeting in September. There could be another one in October. And in subsequent months, uh, and it's pretty clear that in order to get back down to the 2% inflation target, uh, there will be several further interest rate increases. Where, where will it, it, it end up? Think about it. If, if the long-term inflation rate is going to be 2%, and it is, they've said so, uh, all the central banks have a 2% inflation target. Uh, they have the wherewithal to make it happen. Uh, by shoving up interest rates and tightening liquidity. Um, but I think interest rates will not end up, even if they hit the 2% target, uh, going back to where they were in the last few years. The situation in the last few years was very unusual historically. Uh, I think rates, even if they succeed, uh, will eventually be two and a half, three percent or something like that. That would be the normalisation that, that she talked about today. That, that, that's the official interest rate now at which central banks deal with commercial banks. Uh, you can add on a margin then for right. the retail end. So, I mean, I mean, the reality is that the retail borrower, mortgage borrower or any other kind of borrower, has had a pretty good innings the last few years in, in, in very unusual circumstances. Money has been very, very cheap. I think there'll be a lot of people who call them uh, playing higher than the European average uh, mortgage interest rates in this country who'll be thinking, we didn't actually have it that good, to be honest, if you were on a fixed... Well, well, well here, here in Ireland, the margin that banks add on has been higher. Uh, but then the security of uh, mortgages and so on here has been weakened by public policy as well. All so. right, I, I just want to go to uh, Stephen Kinsella, who's there on Skype uh, for me this evening. Why is the ECB, Stephen, raising interest rates 
when there's so much talk about the potential for a European recession? I, I think it has to do with because of credibility. A central bank that can't control inflation, can't make the moves the central bank is expected to make to control inflation isn't a central bank at all. And so a large part of the interest rate move is theatre in a certain sense. I, I I would agree with Colin and with Michael. It's not going to have a, a massive um, change. Uh, it won't it won't uh, cause a recession, and it certainly won't um, drive people into poverty. This this one move. What they're flagging though is that there will be. Uh, extra uh, inflation, uh, inflationary curbing measures into the future. Now, that, that the reality of that is it's not going to curb what is the actual cause of inflation, which is energy costs. And that's coming um, as a result of the war in Ukraine. It's not coming as a result of consumers having too much money or an, another uh, uh, issue that's coming into the debate here, which is completely untrue, which is that wage rises are somehow causing inflation. There's no evidence that that's the case. Um, the, the fundamental issue is that the price of energy is rising too fast and the European Central Bank is using the only real tool that it has uh, of monetary policy. But, uh, you know, not some people, it, uh, I suppose, Stephen, that would argue, you know, post-COVID, given all the support that governments uh, put into people's pockets, given the extra savings, that actually there is extra money out there, you know, that there are economies that are awash with it. Oh, there are, there are indeed, there are indeed. But I think the idea that, you know, households and consumers and firms all of a sudden, um, because of a 0.5% interest rate, all of a sudden get the ick when it comes to consumption, that doesn't seem to be realistic to me. Um, what, what, what makes a lot more sense to me is the central bank is flagging very, very clearly in concrete terms what's going to happen to interest rates over the next three to four to five years and, uh, and sitting back and asking financial markets, particularly the bond markets that lend to, 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 to sovereign entities like Ireland and England and, and, and other countries, what are you going to do next? And I think if that's the horse really that we have to um, keep, a, keep a very, very close eye on because if borrowing costs rise for big countries like Italy and Spain, not, not so much important for, our, for smaller countries like Ireland, then all of a sudden the, 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 Euro, the Eurozone um, starts getting imperiled in, in much in the same way that it was in 2010 and 2011. So Stephen, do you think this is the wrong move then by the ECB if the target in all this is to try and put the brakes on inflation? Yeah, I think they really had no other choice, to be perfectly honest. I think they needed to do it for their own credibility. Like, as comes, I don't really envy them their task in the, over the next couple of months and years. But but this is where they're paid a lot of money. They, they, they fundamentally have to use the tools at their disposal, because if, if, if you know, there are, there are countries in the Eurozone where inflation is 18, 19, 20 percent at the moment, and particularly those in Eastern Europe. Um, you, you, and they're subject to the Eurozone rules as well. If, they, if the central bank can't act to help them, it's not a central bank, it's a currency board. It's not really going to help in any way. So realistically, there was nothing else they could do. But whether that's actually going to control inflation into the uh, uh, medium term is anyone's guess. I mean, I mean there, there, are, there are loads of other ways you could curb this. A price cap on um, oil and gas would 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 absolutely do the job it would be ferociously expensive but central banks can print money so you know that they we know that when they need to print off money in, in in the trillions they can so that would also have the same effect but they've chosen not to go in that direction at least for now all right uh, thank you for that uh, Stephen Kinsley. Uh, Ashin, the government itself has been borrowing to beat the band 
uh, for the last couple of years. Is that all going to have to change now? I think the budget is nearly balanced at this stage. So there has been, like, as Stephen said, right, you're not going to curb um, a price increase in Russian oil and gas with, with, a, with an interest rate rise. It's, a, it's, not, it's not, not what the cause is. We've had this huge increase in expenditure, which was a one-off and exceptional thing to deal with the pandemic and was the right thing to do. There is a bit of a hangover from that, but it's a once-off thing. I don't think it's a structural thing. Whereas the, the problem with the price of fuels coming in from Russia, the way to sort that out is, is to move away from fossil fuels. So that's faster deployment of retrofit, faster deployment of renewables. Okay. Uh, you know, in other words, measures that we can give to people to help them get off oil and gas. OK, and I want to get to that in the moment. But before that, I want to go to the issue of banks and in particular uh, AIB Bank. Uh, Michael Letitia has now weighed in on this. This is off the back of uh, AIB seeing 70 out of its 170 <coughs> um, uh, outlets is are going to go cashless. Um, the Taoiseach has called for AIB to reconsider its move. It's looking to meet, I think he is actually going to meet AIB officials. But people are really up in arms about this, aren't they? And rightly so. Um, we have... But the government is responding. The government has basically put a lot of money into AIB to keep it afloat years ago. Um, at the time, it was probably the right thing to do. Um, but now they're... You know, when you live in rural areas especially... And I've even heard stories from Cork. And I know I bank with them myself in Castery. And to be honest about it, I was reading the email that was sent to me. And you'd wonder, what is this building becoming? The, 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 where, they're, where they're closing down the services. It's basically sort of a walk-in service that you'll talk to someone and maybe go for a mortgage. Other than that, it's nothing else. Because there'll be no ATM it's basically, outside it's, or inside nothing, anymore either. Nor checks, nor confused. bank drafts, nor foreign exchange, all gone. And... What that's doing and what people don't realise, there are parts of the country that people have to drive basically 100 kilometres to get one of the banks now. I've heard it yesterday on the radio being, being said. And I honestly, I, I'm considering at the moment pulling everything from AIB because if this continues... And that is an option here, yeah, isn't it? If you're not happy with, yeah, the but the only thing, with your feet, the only thing, The only problem is with the way banks are going over the last few years, and that's why I promote credit unions so much, at least they are fairly local and they're getting more and more services and the central bank needs to work with the credit unions because I've said it down through the years that the central bank or that the credit unions will be the new AIB or Bank of Bank of Ireland in the local areas to help people um, and I know that people are going card and the young people are going card but there's still a section of society I do contracting most farmers pay you by cheque they have a duplicate checkbook they're able to give the the duplicate part of it to the accountant. And that's how they do things. But we, we seem to, to be cashless. now a forgotten people in parts of Ireland with what they're doing. Uh, Oshin, should AIB have done this, considering that there is a significant banking review underway that yeah. was due to report in November? No, I think, that's a, I think that is a fair point. They could have waited to see what, what came out of that. It is shocking when you go into your bank and see that there are no humans there and a, a wall of machines. I, I, I mean, we, we recently we provided a new subsidy scheme to keep the post offices running, right? And I would ask Michael, I think that, the, that AIB has said that you can do your banking, in other words, you can lodge and withdraw yeah, through the I, post office. Just in practice, does that I, work, can, Michael? No, because you, if you have three cheques, mm -hmm. you have to do each of them one by one and pay, I think it's 47 cent in each one of them. It's, it's a slow cumbersome process and unless they put resources into the post office. But I want to keep the local post offices alive yeah, and, and if they, and, and, and and if every, they can be used for banking. Every, everyone supports that as well, Oshin. But the thing about it is if you go to the local post office and it hasn't the resources and it hasn't the infrastructure to deal with that, it's not able to deal so far with the business people uh, that needs the, the different facilities. Do you, That's think been honest going, with you. do you think there's any chance AIB will reverse this? 
That's certainly possible. Like I see that the, the Taoiseach has, uh, has issued his statement about it and I'm sure they take that seriously. We are a shareholder. Um, Colm, you understand uh, the, the licence here, I suppose. What pressure, uh, as Oshin says, they are a shareholder, the taxpayer is a shareholder as government, what pressure can they put on the banks to get them to reverse this? I hope they don't put any. Uh, I don't like the idea of politicians micromanaging any business. Uh, I, I would hate to be running Tesco or Super Value uh, or any of those outfits if the government could tell you. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Where your branches were to be and what you were to have in stock in each branch. Uh, the government doesn't interfere even in commercial state companies. They let the managers manage. Taoiseach uh, saying today banks have, you know, a responsibility here. There's a social contract. Yeah. You know, they have been bailed out by the taxpayers. You don't buy any of that? Uh, I don't buy any of it. Uh, uh, you, 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 you know, just think what it would be like if the ESB was told you must have a depot here and you must have another depot somewhere else. They'd resist it. They'd say, look, we've got to manage this thing as best we can. We've got to keep costs under control. It is about costs, isn't the, it? I mean, the, it's expensive to keep the, branches open. But it is not No, no it, it, it's not just branch closures and, and the coverage of the branch network. Banks will tell you that handling cash is very costly. And they charge uh, business people. If business people come in, they lodge a whole bundle of cash. They're charged for that. You've got to count it, you've got to keep it safe, uh, and all the rest of it. Uh, so the banks are very keen to, to, to get the whole economy going. I, mean, I, I broadly agree with that. I think you know, we can't, on the one hand, be complaining that banking in Ireland is expensive, that mortgage rates here are too high, but then want branches to be kept open the length and breadth of the country. Um, and yes, hold dealing on, with cash hold on, hold is on. The length and breadth of the country isn't what I talked about. I talked about people to do their banking on business, having to drive 100 kilometres. Now, would you like, if you lived in Dublin, to have to drive to Athlone? How many to do examples of that are there? Well, there's, a good, there's a good few, and especially... Give me one example. Well, in Cork. 
is one example. Yeah, so, I've so, heard it yesterday yeah, on yeah, a national yeah, way station. Way out at the far end of one of the peninsulas in Cork. But it's there. Uh, yeah. Do they not matter? Yeah. 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 Hold on a second now. Does a business there not matter? But I suppose the point is... kilometres. Do they have to bank I mean, for that's every a single individual in the country? The, 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 there's hardly any uh, 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 town or village in Ireland that, that's 100 kilometres from the next they one. spoke very clearly All right, yesterday. Can we just, but a, lot, a lot of credit unions won't take cash either. That's the point. And a credit union, if your direct debit fails, they'll charge you 10 euros. The credit unions can be a bit like the banks well, as well. Every credit union that I know of takes cash over the counter well, they take and gives the cash over the counter. Yes. Well, OK. Not the, my, Dara, my that's not been your experience? No, not in my experience. All right, look, I just want to move on, um, Oshin, because it's been a big uh, week on, on climate issues. We've had the heat wave, we've had wildfires, um, discussions on how we're going to reach targets. There's still a lot of conflict, isn't there, in government, particularly between um, Eamon Ryan's department and the Department of Agriculture about what this emission target is going to be? No, I wouldn't say there's conflict. Uh, there is certainly ongoing discussion and they're working it out. And they haven't been able to reach an agreement and they were meant to be agreed by the end of June. So yeah, It's taking a little longer than expected. There is a cabinet meeting next Wednesday. I hope it's resolved by then. Do you think it will but have been resolved? and be? I expect it will. I don't know for certain, but I expect it will. So what's happening is there is a budget of how much carbon we can emit for five years. It's 295 megatons from 2021, 2025. And we have to split those emissions between different sectors in society. And that's what we agreed in law. And then we voted through that budget, that five-year carbon budget, through the Doyle and through the Shannon, right? So that's, that's the agreement. Yeah. And, the, and we need the to split that. The culture was 30%. Uh, it was a range. Yeah, it was a range. 22 and 30%. Yeah. yeah. And so each of the, each of the sectors has to do their share. Everybody has to put their shoulder to the wheel. And, and I'm sure they want to as well. And the future for farming, presumably, is to move away from mass production of, of products that are subsidised and mass you know, emissions and moving towards things like generating green energy or rewetting bogs or uh, anaerobic digestion or forestry right. or, other, or other things. Do you think there will be support for this, do you think, among those? In there has to be. So, what, so the, the, whole goal, the whole goal for agriculture is to cut emissions and at the same time maintain farm incomes. That's the whole thing. How we get there is, is you know, is, is the question between for farmers and for the Department of Agriculture. Michael. Yeah, first of all, Kira, I think we have to be realistic. Um, we have to hope, uh, it's, it's nonsensical to believe that we're going to reach, that we're going to stay within targets in the different sectors over the coming years. First of all, when these were signed up, we hadn't a war. At the moment, we are getting, we're basically trying to get gas, we're trying to get, there's more oil coming in. We're under pressure with our electricity at the moment. And if you look at... Some the, might say, Michael, there'll always be an excuse, and this was week was a perfect well, example. Well, a war isn't an excuse now. in all fairness. A war isn't an excuse, and we're in a war. We're after coming out of a pandemic. Have a look at the figures today. Transport has gone up. There is two, there's 500,000, thankfully, more people working than there was in 2019. And... Those people go to work, they're going to use something to get to work, okay. so that the emissions so, are going to go up. So, and, so the EPA and, and report is, today yeah. showed, Michael, that our emissions are going in the wrong direction. Yeah. They're now higher than yeah. they were. In, and they go, in the and the way, and, and, you say that's okay? And to be honest about it, I'll give you more, more stats. The EPA report, if you look at aviation today, was about 4 million tonnes. It will be 16 or 17 million tonnes when we have 38 million people going through Dublin Airport. That's a realism of, of the facts that's going to happen. Next okay. year, you'll be talking about this. You'll be giving out about it. But the, the, what, what we need to do is there are some things coming forward in technology that's going to be very fruitful in the second half 
of all of this in the agricultural sector. Uh, but we Eamon Reinhardt today is saying the cuts that we need to uh, introduce in all sectors, they need to be front-loaded. We need to see them in the next two and a half years if we have any chance of making our targets. We can't well, be waiting for another two or three years to see if these new technologies work or don't work. Well, first of all, uh, Kira, Eamon Ryan talks about anaerobic digestion. If you happen to feed the entire for anaerobic digestion, it doesn't happen. It's going to be three to four years before we do that. Wind energy, for example, have a look at the stats today that the EPA put out. Wind energy didn't perform like okay. it did before. I just want to focus it was, on the it, issue of yeah, but, but, but I just want to, I, I want to go through this, that it was down 5%, so you had to use more fossil fuels. And in the line of agriculture, if you look at the new systems in new types of grasses, if you look at the likes of seaweed, if you look at what has happened, we had uh, Professor Mittlener in yesterday that um, California has now given the go-ahead for a new additive in the what okay. the cattle eat. And the same will happen Michael, in Europe. Michael, what target do you think? Just give me a figure. What target do you think is reasonable? We, in my opinion, we cannot, we're, we're even aspiring if we go to, to 22% because you I don't think, think it's achievable. I don't, I don't think it's achievable for the simple reason we're not ready to go there yet. In my opinion, so who, 28, if, 29, 30 before we get there. And uh, Michael, if agriculture doesn't go there, what other sectors? But it, it shouldn't be. The, the problem that we have done is we have signed up to something that's not achievable. It won't be achievable in transport. Oshie? If you spend your money on one thing, you can't spend it on something else. This is a budget, right? There's so much to spend. There's 295 megatons to emit. That's what we can do. If we emit it in one sector, we can't emit it in another. You'll be buying right. carbon credits. That's what you love to do. And what I want to do, Michael, is work with you so yeah. that I can help the people yeah. who you represent, the contractors, to find alternative work that will actually last into the future. And I think you want to do that. But and I think you're optimistic about the right. future Look, as well. I believe that we can get the solutions down the road, but, but at the moment, we are aspiring okay. to something that's unachievable. Man. Okay. <laughs> we'll get there, just not today or tomorrow, it appears. Right, we have to leave it there. My thanks to Oshin, Michael Collum, to Dara and to Stephen on Skype. Uh, next, more on that growing row over AIB going cashless and the other big news stories of the week. Do stay with us. I'm joined now by broadcasters Keith Walsh and Wendy Grace and Sunday Times columnist and political commentator Jared Howland to look at some of the big news stories of the week. You're all very welcome to the programme. I'm going to start briefly with that uh, AIB story because it certainly seems to be uh, growing legs uh, with the Taoiseach getting involved in it today and, you know, encouraging AIB to reconsider. But is it time, do you think, Wendy, that we look at becoming a proper cashless society? I think that probably COVID has had a huge impact that people got used to just tapping off all the time. But I think that it was just very, feels very fast and it depends on what part of the country you live in. Now, on the one hand, obviously, AIB have, you know, by connecting up with the post office, which has a lot more branches, 920 compared to AIB's 170. My concern would be mostly for small businesses who are handling cash. And also for charities who, you know, who are doing bucket collections, you know, I'm thinking of the St. Vincent de Paul after mass or whatever. And I know myself that, you know, if I don't have the cash in my pocket, they're, they're not going to get it. But if they're not going to be collecting cash anymore, they're going to get less. And I think that maybe some sort of a kind of uh, balance would be AIB providing, for example, charities or small businesses, you know, the small wireless terminals free of charge for a certain period of time while the transition actually happens. So at least then, hopefully, they won't lose revenue. 
Yeah, because there is some concern, isn't there, Keith, that people will end up sort of hoarding small amounts of cash because they're not as confident that they're going to be able to access it easily, particularly yeah. in rural areas. Yeah, I think that's a rural thing, really. I mean, I haven't been in a bank in, I don't know, I think it was in once this year, and that, it wasn't a cash thing. It was just I needed to do something. I needed to speak to somebody about a form. Uh, I don't use banks, um, but I worry that uh, it's it's affecting, you know, and, and, like, I think the government are sort of playing to the... To the to the the older people and you know and and sort of saying oh no we we need to keep our the banks there's no real need for the banks right we don't need them in certain areas uh, I worry about it being a class thing uh, for people who are on lower incomes who deal in cash all the time I worry about, about that but the problem here is the messaging just just the messaging has to be better just stop doing the GAA ads for a couple of months well there's calls isn't there for AAP to stop sponsoring the GAA I saw that coming from one Leitrim uh, yeah because the, club because today. they're saying you're supposed to be backing the the lo- you're saying you're you're there backing local you're not backing local you're pulling out of local so stop uh, the GAA stuff for a little while and have ads where you tell people what they do when they get to the post office how they use the post office how their lives can change and how and be helpful to them don't just like shut things down and walk away and say we're not having this conversation you know uh, any chance very briefly, Jared, they'll reconsider. I doubt it. I doubt and it. by the way, if governments are telling banks, we have a lack of competition in banking. We've only two banks. We're back to a level of comp- competition we haven't seen since the 1970s. So, uh, you know, banking in Ireland is too expensive and you put another cost on banks. What's the cost of that to the same community you purport to be representing? Uh, there's two sides to this. And, you know, as, as somebody else said on the show earlier, there are, there are credit unions. There is another model that has a social purpose that banks do not. OK, I want to move on to the heat wave, which I think probably many of our viewers really enjoyed this week. Um, it was the first time I think I lived with no natural daylight for three days in Ireland because we all got the message, keep your curtains closed, yeah. don't let the heat in. And um, But it was interesting, Jared, because we did have that report um, this week from the Advisory Council, the Climate Advisory mm. Council, saying the government needs to be prepared for the climate disruption. And we saw so much of that disruption mm. across Europe and in London this week, didn't we? Yes, but it's coming to us belatedly. Vast tracts of the world, poorer places, have been experiencing this for years to the point of mass starvation in places of Africa. So this is a small, belated little taster of the inferno that is facing the earth unless we seriously address climate change. We in this country cannot solve the problem, but we haven't come up to the plate in terms of taking the steps we can and should on, on this island. And in relation to climate disruption, if, if the ocean rises, how will that affect coast, coastal areas? The weather patterns we're seeing, of course we're not prepared. Uh, no, not, no place in the world is prepared. And the thing to do is to take those urgent steps that's going to abrupt the rise in, 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 in global warming. And yet we've been talking this week on the programme almost every night about those steps, those unpopular political steps, Wendy. I'm wondering, did you get any sense that when we saw what happened in London, you know, right on our doorstep, um, that attitudes changed at all to climate crisis this week? I know, when you're hearing that, you know, uh, fire engines had their busiest days since World War II, um, and just how scary the images that we saw coming across our television screens. However, it is not the first time, and sadly it won't be the last, that we see the detrimental impacts of the climate crisis. But you're standing back looking at at the numbers of people affected and saying, what will it actually take for governments to take political leadership? Because what is needed here are big steps. Yes, individuals can do, you know, small things and play their part. But until we actually have 
leaders that care enough about the next generation rather than just their tenure for the next few years, and that's the problem, because it's all short-term thinking about the life of a particular government rather than selflessly thinking about the next generation. And I don't know what it's going to take for that to change. Um, a lot of people did go and enjoy the beach uh, this week and one of the disappointing, I think, aspects of the heatwave was the photos that came of the littering of the beaches, particularly Borough Beach uh, in Dublin, Keith. Yeah, look, I mean, it was terrible. It was it was, it was, was a disgrace, but I, I don't like, and I think it's gotten worse since COVID, I don't like the finger pointing. I don't like the kind of like, this is disgrace, so we should behave ourselves better. We should be better than this. We are, we're better, you know, we should... I, I, I would always bring my rubbish home. I would always be, you know, be that citizen. But, you know, it's nice weather. Everyone's gone a bit lula. Ah, there's you know, no they've gone out for and, that. They've gone out and enjoyed themselves. If you, if you just keep, if, if, if people can't, if you say, well, you can go to the beach, but like, you know, behave yourself and stay on your blanket and have your cup of tea and, you know. Just and, take your rubbish home with you. But it, or put it in the bin that's provided. Yeah, well, but they had burnt down because of the, the barbecues that were supplied. I just think these things happen. People go a bit mad. In other uh, countries and cities, they're set up for this kind of weather and they have facilities. We don't, we're, you know, and people. Oh, yes, Jared's not this, buying this, that. This, that's oh, all, Jared, that's all for all, mate. Uh, other people are set up for it. You're set up not to be a litter lout, to invest the area around you in squalor. Mm-hmm. That's how you're set up. Yeah, but I, ju- I just And think, I vast think. numbers of people, in their hundreds at least, did that. Uh, and obviously one doing it fed the, other, fed the other permission to keep on doing it. This is a big cultural problem. I live in the north inner city of Dublin, which unlike other places that are progressively getting better in terms of litter, is consistently a black spot. And as a small number of people are blighting the whole community. And this is what we saw here. And how much of that litter wasn't collected because it floated away into the sea to be a permanent poison in the ocean? Yeah, no, I get it. I mean, I mean, it's the same. I, you know, I think it's, you it's need something, same, actually, you need something same. stronger than finger pointing. It's the same. There's another <laughs> instrument that might have a very hot tip to it that might be slightly it's the same more. On the you want to see the, the litter wardens out in the beaches <laughs> I think, on I a think, good day? Yeah, well, I think that we knew that the weather was coming. We know where people are going to go and the kind of the hot spots where people go to when the sun shines. That there, sadly, we would need more litter wardens and people getting fined and that there has to be a consequence. It's unfortunate it's that way. Why we wouldn't want to look after our beautiful beaches and our beautiful country. But I think forward planning is what's needed from the county councils in the various areas. Okay, uh, very uh, briefly, um, Sex education is going to be revamped yeah. uh, for the junior search cycle. I think a lot of people did feel that the old um, sex education, the old programme that was there, uh, Keith, was out of date and needed to be modernised and needed to reflect what it is that students want to talk about. Yeah, when, you talk, when we talk about sex in schools, we talk about dangers, we talk about risks, we talk about the negative side of, of sex. Sex is a positive thing. It should be enjoyed. Young people should be told how to enjoy it. And, like, I love the headlines. We're now teaching pornography in schools as if the teachers are going to show you how to, how to do it and how to make a, a, a pornography film. Uh, they're teaching them about pornography. Hopefully they'll teach them, like, if you are to watch pornography, make sure it's ethical. This is good pornography. It's like children who play Grand Theft Auto. You know, don't jump in a Ferrari and reverse over somebody uh, on the main street in Newbridge. But you can play it on a game. Pornography is the same. It's not real life. You have to understand that. And it's good that they're talking about sex in a proper way and, and almost treating the, you know, those, these people like, like the age they are, you know. Uh, Wendy. I have to say I disagree with that. I think that's what shocked me the most was talking about, you know, a safe way to view porn. To me, that's like saying a safe way to inject yourself with heroin because when we look at the empirical evidence that we have from peer-reviewed studies, 
hundreds of them when you're looking at organizations like Your Brain on Porn, Fight the New Drug, all these things that show the detrimental impact that porn has on mental health, relationships, not to mention human trafficking, not up trafficking of children. To just recognize that it is out, out there, that it is being viewed, we can't ignore it. But if we kind of shrug our shoulders in apathy saying, well, this is just something that happens while ignoring the evidence of the dangers that it poses to not just young people, but to all of us. You, you, but do you think that's what this, sec- this curriculum no, is going to but do? But if we're, if we're saying to young people, there's a safe way to view porn, there is a safe I, do, way to I don't view believe porn. that there is. But Even for example, after the Anna Kriegel case, when they discovered all the pornographic images um, on that boy's computer. Um, the, the empirical evidence to show the link to sexual violence and the viewing of pornography is staggering. And in fact, what the evidence shows is that... Do you think, is, that, is there no safe discussion around just, pornography? Just, is that what I you just, said? You don't want that, that mentioned not, Does that not prove that we need to teach it? Because, these, but the, the, because but that's it's, where the misnomer is saying that there's a safe way to view something that is dangerous. When we, when we have... Look, look, we've gone from a situation in such a short space of time when softcore lads mags under the, under the mattress to hardcore, 24-7, porn in your pocket, rewiring young people's brains. And we have to have a national conversation about the impact that this is going to have. This isn't the start of it. Some people would say this is. Well, hopefully it is if it's not discussed in a vacuum. Okay, look, we're going to have to take a short break there. But do join us because we'll be discussing more big stories after the break. Welcome back. My panel is still here with me, broadcasters Keith Walsh and Wendy Grace and public affairs consultant Jared Howland. Um, Jared, we have been talking uh, for the last number of weeks about the Conservative Party in the UK. Mm-hmm. Of course, Boris Johnson gone. And now we've got the two names, Sunak and Truss. And I think, I don't know about you, but a lot of us, I think, have been interested perhaps engrossed in the theatre of it all? Well, I'm a political anorak and I just can hardly bring myself to look look away from it. And we have a month now of the two of them slugging it out for the Conservative Party members so that by early September, one of them will be Prime Minister. I just don't buy the fact that Truss is a, is a shoo-in, uh, that she will certainly among those Conservative Party members be beat, beat Rishi Sunak. And the reason is that when people like her Ian Duncan Smith is an example. Uh, Best, for example, Ken Clark, you would say a much superior candidate. They were fighting for the leadership of the party in opposition. The Conservative Party members know that the day they confer the leadership of their party on one or other, that person becomes Prime Minister. Mm-hmm. And I think that might influence the dynamic somewhat uh, for uh, Rishi Sunak against Truss. But let's see, you would have to say that because of her, I, I suppose, her very aggressive Brexiteering, um, that she might have a, a lead over him. She's promising tax cuts regardless of how sustainable they are. He has called her out on that, but that's not necessarily popular politics with the Conservative Party base. Yeah, well, Keith, we were just talking in the advert there about. Some of the abuse I think Liz Truss is um, getting online, particularly on Twitter, it has been uncomfortable to see over the last couple of days. Yeah, I think it's terrible. I think, like, I can't even, uh, like, whatever you think. Like, I, I wish <laughs> I wish the mainland of uh, England would just float away somewhere because I'm just done with it now at this stage. But I just think that that mudslinging and that, it's it just, it looks horrible. I don't, like, I'm uncomfortable watching it. And I think, like, you know, there's one particular video where she's she comes down off the podium and goes the wrong way. To, you know, to, to she doesn't go out the right way, and people are like, 
like I just like who hasn't done that? Who hasn't made those mistakes? And she's almost like kind of grown up in the in the spotlight. And everything she does is filmed. And I'm sure if everything I did was filmed, people would be able to pick out clips of me doing something and saying something stupid. So I really don't like that that side of things. Whatever your politics are, you know, I think okay. that's ugly. Uh, let's move on to two other big sports stories. Uh, the women's football, England and Spain last night. Seven million viewers on the BBC, Wendy. Great to see that sport finally getting the recognition. That's that the thing deserves. that, you know, that made me really happy was because for far too long across various different sports, you know, women's sports don't get enough recognition. And now, obviously, when we see those type of figures, I think we're going to see more of women's sport like this being broadcast. And, you know, it's like the snowball effect. More people will want to watch the next... Yeah, but now you're beginning to think, what did I miss? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Yeah. For the first time. Yes, yeah, it's right. a positive thing. And of course, closer to home, uh, a big All-Ireland final this will you, weekend, mm. uh, Kerry versus Galway. Will you be tuning in, Jared? I certainly will. And it's just a passion. I mean, the hurling was unmissable. Uh, just the tension. Will it be another match like that? Uh, will it be still in the balance at the end? Is there one last ball over the bar that'll just change everything at the last minute? That's the excitement people come to the television or come to Crow Park for. So, Would you call it? No. <laughs> no, Kerry. Would you? Kerry, I think Kerry, I'd love to see. I can't, I, my grandfather's from Kerry, but I have a, a soft spot for Galway. So I just want a great match. Do you know what I mean? A close match. Mm. Neither team running away with it, you know. Uh, quite unusual uh, for the first time, I think, the hurling final last week had tickets still left over. Is that down, do you think, to the timing, Wendy? July versus September? Yeah, I think it's the timing, but I think the positive takeaway from all of this is just the sense of atmosphere and community that we're feeling, that sense of normalcy after two years of not having this season of sport and just feeling that buzz. We need positivity to hang on yeah. to at the moment. Is great. It was great to see it back. All right, look, that's it from us. Uh, my thank to all of my guests and to my panellists this evening. Our programme is available as a podcast on all major platforms and you can also now find us on Instagram. It's tonight, BMTV. But from all the late team here, good night and do take care. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. 